0: Hi everyone, welcome to the podcast at UT Belfast. We hope you enjoy as you join with us on Sunday mornings and listen in as we seek to inspire our church and the people of our city to encounter Jesus and just love it with the biggest heart of compassion possible. We're going to go to the Bible in a few moments. Uh, We're going to go to Acts chapter 11. If you haven't met before, my name is Ryan and uh, I'm sorry that we haven't met. I would shake your hand on a normal week, but... Not today. We've been on this uh, journey uh, in Acts chapter 11. Um, we've been on this journey called Awake uh, with uh, four other churches uh, processing this uh, kind of journey of what it looks like to be awake in our souls, in our city, and in our land. We've, we've journeyed this for, um, uh, I think we're on like in the 70s now. We're landing in on Easter and um, we're beginning, uh, we've been beginning land for the last number of weeks. And today we're going to continue with land. And we're going to look at Acts chapter 11 and process through that. Um, being awake in our souls, in our city and in our land. If you and I have got the land, that would imply this. It would imply that you're already awake in your soul. And that our city is already awake. And that our land is awakening. And so actually, as you process that logically... That should startle some of us because perhaps you're not awake. Perhaps there's been some stuff on the news that has awoken you, that has awoken people around you, that has awoken the city in a very obvious way, and that has awoken the land and has awoken the nations of the earth. And it, it's actually woken you up more than the Word of God has. And the presence of the Holy Spirit has. And so there, over the last number of weeks, there's been an awakening, that's for sure. But maybe not the kind of awakening that we have been tarrying for, contending for. And so I wonder as we process through an awakening in our souls, in our city and in our land, are, are you awake? Are you actually awake? Because if we've got the land, it would imply that Belfast is awake it would imply that your soul is awake, which surely has measurements to it. If your soul is awake, it would mean that you are walking out the Great Commission, that you are doing what Jesus has commanded you to do. If this city is awake, that would have measurements to it. The Lord added to their number daily, those who were being saved. And if the land is going to awake, that would also have measurements to it. But to be on land is to imply that you are awake in your soul. And apparently we're awake in our city. And so today I want to help us understand what it looks like to be woke. To be woke in our soul, to be woke in the city, and to be woke in the land, or awakened, depending on which way you want to take it. Acts chapter 11, and we're going to read 11 verses. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen. It says, now those who'd been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples as each one was able decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Wowzers. Here's this, um, here's this church, right, in Antioch. Antioch at this point in uh, first century was uh, the modern day, LA, New York, Singapore, London. It was an epicenter, but it was an epicenter of like a crossroads between both culture and trade. So probably more like Los Angeles than anywhere else. Apparently, uh, you and I are 10 years behind what fashion is and what culture is in LA. LA is much more liberal, it's much more advanced, it's much more forward thinking. And here we're 10 years behind it. London's five years behind it, but you and I are are 10 years behind it. Antioch is our modern day LA, right? So when when you're processing this scripture, this is happening in a cultural epicenter of the modern world. Antioch modern day, if you were to be uh, on a hot air balloon and jump out uh, in the middle of Antioch, you would land directly in Syria. Right now, you see Syria on the on the news and think it's so far removed, and then you do your devotions and read about Antioch, thinking, "Oh, that's a lovely wee place." And it's modern day. It's Syria now. There's two Antiochs in Scripture. There's one in Acts thirteen, and there's an Antioch. It's called in Pisidia, but this is the Antioch in Syria. So here is this huge city, an epicenter of culture and trade. And these believers uh, didn't just decide to go there, like as in we're going to go on a short-term missions trip. They didn't decide, hey, let's go plant a church here. They were scattered because of persecution. Now, the great thing about Antioch was that in Antioch, if you arrived to Antioch, similarly to LA, or if some of us have been to places like New York or London, those places that are real cultural epicenters that are like a little taste of the whole world, There are people from everywhere, everywhere. You could be standing, chatting to somebody from Senegal. And over here, there's somebody from a remote village in Nepal. And over there, there's somebody from a slum in Brazil. And over here, there's somebody from Siberia. Antioch was modern day people from everywhere. you know in Acts chapter two, when, when uh, the, they begin to speak in tongues, and outside were Jews from every nation under heaven. Antioch was like that. This was the kind of place where people were from everywhere, that the flavor of the room was so vibrant, it was so diverse. Actually, it was persecution that drew the believers, that scattered the believers to these places and scattered the believers to Antioch, which is really interesting because if you were a businessman uh, and you are a businesswoman, let's be straight about that, uh, you were in business and you wanted your company to, to have a global reach, you would put its headquarters or its base in somewhere in which had a transient nature about it and was global and people would go from that base all over the world. And so in the middle of persecution, Stephen being killed in Acts chapter seven, uh, uh, being stoned for the gospel, all of these people, all, the belief, all of these believers begin to scatter and actually using persecution, God strategically scatters believers to Antioch. Why? Because Jesus said in Matthew 2818 to 20, therefore, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of what? All nations all nations. And so here are these believers being scattered. They're fleeing from persecution, but yet God is flipping it on its head, which gives Romans 8, 28, a whole different context for you and I, that actually he uses all things to work together for his good. That might be a helpful verse for you to remember in a time that feels like you wanna flee or scatter or self-isolate. That actually God uses all kinds of things in order that his agenda will be pushed in order that his name will be glorified in order that Christ will be honored. And Stephen's life paid the price for the evangelization of Antioch. Antioch was this incredible epicenter. And here's this group of people now here in Antioch. This is the first group of uh, believers. This was the kind of first church that was majority Gentile, which means that they didn't understand the Torah. And it's definitely not in the same way. They didn't understand the rules and regulations. They weren't uh, willing to submit to circumcision, nor were they being forced to because they were a Gentile church. They They didn't come with all of the Jewish understanding, the Messianic understanding about Jesus. They were simply drawn to the power that the believers had and they put their faith in Jesus after hearing the good news about him. There was an awakening in this city. It was an awakening in the city But what was it down to? The very fact that believers went and shared the word or what? What was was this all down to? Let's look at Acts 11, 21 to 23. There's a couple of verses. So the believers are scattered. They go to Antioch. They begin to share the gospel. And then people start to get saved. And then this happens. Barnabas comes along and says this, sees this. The Lord's hand was with them. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God, everybody say grace of God. Come on, say grace of God. When he saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. I wanna share with you two things today. And the first thing is this, the grace of God causes us to grow up in Christ. The grace of God causes us to grow up in Christ. The grace of God brings about incredible salvation. The Lord's hand was with them. And so many believed, many were saved, many turned, many wanted to know Jesus, many wanted to put their trust in Jesus. And then Barnabas comes along and he sees all of these new believers and thinks, wow, what a social media strategy. No, he thinks, brilliant, who's the evangelist? No, he thinks they must must have a wonder worship team. No, no. They must have a real great charismatic culture. N- not at all. They must do live stream because of COVID-19. Not at all again. Actually, he shows up and the very thing he identifies is not the talent of people. It's not the vibrancy. It's not the ability of others. It's not their willingness to serve. It's not their creative arts program. It's not their internship. It's none of those things. It's, It's none of those. It's not the jobs that the people had in church. It's not how they tithe. None of those things. Barnabas shows up. He sees people who've been saved, whose lives have been changed, and he identifies that salvation with the grace of God. It was the grace of God that done this. It was the grace of God that made this possible. And the only reason you are sat in that seat, see this seat right here? The only reason that I can be sat in it, looking at a yellow screen in this moment is because of the grace of God. Do we like bounce on your seat? Just like a wee, hmm. The only reason you're sat in that seat is because of the grace of God. Now, what is the grace of God? Like you're sitting there going, I don't know what the grace of God is. The grace of God is God's unmerited favor towards you. So AKA, you are only sat where you're sat because of God's unmerited favor towards you. Well, why me? (laughs) Who knows? Well, God knows. Now, you could take a wild guess at it. All you want, you can guess all day long, but you're probably not gonna get it anytime soon. Why? Because that's who he is. Because his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts, that that's who he is. And it's out of your control. And God is gracious and God is kind, even when you're not gracious and you're not kind. And by your and my standards, we don't deserve it. He gives it nonetheless. The only reason you're sat where you're sat is because of the grace of God. What a privilege. What an honor. What a joy. Take a deep breath. The only reason you did that, because of the grace of God. Well, this is getting a bit old. No, you're getting a bit old. That's because of the grace of God. That breath right there. Whatever you do in this moment, you do that has life function and ability Because of the grace of God, not because you're cool enough, not because you're good enough, not because, you know, I did right back then, not because I was brought up in a Christian home, not because, you know, I was Sunday school, not because of I'm goody two shoes, I've always been that way, nada, zilch, nothing. The only reason you are sat where you're sat and the position that you are in is because of the grace of God. Does that mean if you're in a bit of a tricky spot at the moment, it's because of the judgment of God? No. Not at all. Actually, the tricky spot that you're in, by his grace, he'll flip it on its head, like Beth said. Well, when's he going to do it? Dunno. It's all part of the fun. Well, it doesn't feel very fun. Well, it's, it's not always fun. It's not always fun. But the only reason you're sat where you're sat is because of the grace of God these believers the thing that Barnabas identified was the grace of God and he came in he seen all of these believers gathered together and he was mesmerized by it he said wow the grace of God and you know what his response was double services lads no Come on, we'll, we could surely we could pack this place fill another service no you version bible plans folks everybody get on you version bible No. Kids ministry, that's what we need. No. His response to identifying the grace of God was, I know what I need to do. I need to get Saul, who you and I understand as Paul, who wrote two thirds of the New Testament. I need to get him. I need to bring him here. And for a year, we need to teach these people. Teach them what? We'll teach them the word. Teach them the truths, teach them what Jesus had commanded the disciples, but ultimately teach them to grow up in Christ. The grace of God causes you to grow up in Christ, which means this. If you are still drinking milk, it's time to start eating solid milk. It's time to start eating solid truths, understanding scripture in a deeper way. Well, I don't feel like church today. If that's 15 years on, get off the milk, guys. If that's five years on, by this definition, if that's a year on, well, I don't really know what this means or that means, so I'll choose to abstain for it for now. If that's a year on, by Paul's definition, You and I, if that's how we're living, is a level of immaturity that the grace of God does not stand for. The grace of God is causing us to grow up. Grow up in your walk with God. Understand the call of God on your life. Operate in spiritual gifts. Understand scripture and not just know it, but live it. Walk out the purposes that God has on your life. Fulfill your part in understanding what it looks like to, to, to do the Great Commission as church. What it looks like to be a part of a body. His response to the grace of God was to gather believers together and to teach them to grow up in Christ. And so for you and I, it's probably something that we need to consider? Romans 2 verse 4 says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? The grace of God isn't something that we just play about with. That we just, often we use grace of God as an excuse to do what we want and manipulate God. Well, I can do it because he'll forgive me. When actually the grace of God is supposed to be a license for you to grow up. When you get a provisional, you don't go steal a car because you got your provisional, you've got, you've got the authority to learn how to drive a car and get your own. You don't go steal somebody else's, or joyride something, or something like that. The moment you get a provisional is the moment you get the authority to do it. The grace of God is the authority to grow up in Christ. The grace of God is is the authority to mature to not be tossed back and forth like the wind and the waves. Ephesians chapter four, let's look at it together. There's uh, There's a few verses, we're gonna read five altogether. It says, now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers. Let's keep that there for a second. These are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, right? So if we are the church, not a church, but the church, these are the gifts that Christ has given to you and I these are our gifts in order that we can grow up in Christ now this is this is really this is important for you and I to understand because you might just be a gift and you're sitting on it and so you're causing somebody else not to grow up in Christ because you're sitting on the gift that you are it says now these are the gifts that Christ has given to the church apostles prophets evangelists pastors teachers goes on their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature. Everybody say mature. Turn to the person next to you and just say, grow up. Now keep your distance. And you're gonna need to change that when I'm preaching. Turn to the person, go ahead and give him a high five. doesn't work that they will be what? Mature in the Lord. And so I have a question for you and you might not be able to answer it today, in this moment, but I pray that later on, if you order like a wee four o'clock Domino's pizza or after you have your Sunday roast and you wake up and you're trying to work out what to watch on TV, I pray right now by the power of the Holy Spirit that he'll cause you to remember this question. Are you mature in the Lord? Am I mature in the Lord? The text goes on. Measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We'll not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, We will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. You guys, the the grace of God causes us to grow up in Christ. God's desire for you is that you would grow up and you would mature to become the full and complete measure of what God has for you. That's God's desire for you. God's desire for you, isn't that you would compromise. Is not that you would settle. Isn't that you would be tossed back and forth by every wind of teaching, craftiness and cunningness and believe whatever is going. Isn't that you would be trapped in a spirit of fear, but God's desire for you is that you would grow up in him, being completely mature in the Lord, not lacking anything. The second thing I wanna share with you this morning is this, growing up in Christ causes us to give. Growing up in Christ causes us to give. Now on a day like today, I feel like the level with you. I feel incredibly weird sharing this text, but it was, it was the passage that was to be preached and so I believe that there's a degree of prophetic nature about it. I really do. And so I am going to preach it wholeheartedly with boldness. But I haven't, I haven't just woken up this week and chose to preach Acts 11. This was five churches in the city of Belfast talking about a famine in a time where people are clearing shelves of toilet roll. And I'm calling you by the power of Scripture to give now, I believe there's a prophetic nature to that. And so with all authority of scripture, I'm gonna preach it to you as clear and concise as possible. It says, growing up in Christ causes us to give with compassion and generosity. Let's look at Acts 11, 27 to 30. Now, a group of prophets came down. One of them was called Agabus. Next verse. Through the spirit, he predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able. Now let's press pause there. Just keep those verses on the screen. The disciples, as each one was able. The disciples, as each one was able. Now you and I, we can, we can use that uh, if we understand some of these verses and we can use that to write ourselves uh, out of it and go, no, 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 that, that's for John or that's for Peter or that's for some of the guys who were doing the preaching stuff. That's for those guys who were given the gifts. Now, the distinction is, is that in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the disciples are those 12 people, including Judas, right? They're the, they're the 12 guys who were following Jesus, yet there was a greater band of minimum 120 people with Jesus at all times, men, women, boys, girls, children, whole shebang, hence little boy with the lunch, five loaves, two fish, Feeding of 5,000, how would he be there if there was only 12 disciples all the time? Was he just part of the crowd or was he following around after Jesus? This was a diverse crowd. Therefore, say all of that to take us to Acts 11 to show you that the disciples as each one was able. Now get this, one year saved, one year saved. Stevie Clark's about one year saved. Now, one year saved in scripture here. This is what we see. Being taught the word of God, being called to grow up in Christ for one year, one year saved, one year saved, one year saved. This was the level uh, of uh, situation that would make a lot of people at 40 years saved feel a little bit uncomfortable. One year saved, a man gives a prophetic picture that a severe famine is about to go over the whole Roman world each disciple as they were able. Say, as they were able. Now, what you're able to give might be different than what they're able to give, right? Is Elliot there? No? No? All right. Is there any kids here? Here, what is your name? Can I help you? Can you help me for a wee second? Come on, come on, come on. Quick, quick, quick. No, you want to stay there. All right. So so imagine that there was a child here, right? So in fact, I'll take Kristen. She'd be great. So Kristen's like uh, 16, 17, right? So Kristen... uh, Nine, ten years younger than me, isn't able to give the same as me, right? So look at scripture, widow's might, uh, people who are given out of nothing, the girl with the alabaster jar who wipes Jesus' feet, like all of these things where we, we preach them in such a way that talk about expensiveness and, but the reality of expensiveness is relative to each person. So for example, this week, buying uh, 48 toilet rolls sounds logical to one person, but to another person, they're waiting on a strap to get them through next week in order they can buy four toilet rolls. But somebody would say 48 toilet rolls isn't expensive. No, expensive is relative. It's based upon what you have. It's based upon what you have the ability to give. Now, if I were to bring a message to talk about a famine across the Roman world, most of us would go, oh, right? We would would panic. Now, these people were one year saved, one year saved. And each one gave as they were able. That means that Kristen could give what, what she is able to give which he is able to give. I can give what I am able to give. And both are enough. Enough. Now, enough's not, a, enough's not like a brilliant word to share in church because it doesn't sound like, oh, I wanted like a blessing. No. The blessing is the fact that a famine is about to come across the whole Roman world and these new believers get to provide help for their brothers and sisters. That's the blessing. Oh, what do I get out of it? You get to provide help for your brothers and sisters. That's what you get out of it. Well, sure, that, that's not very, what about me? No, you get to provide help for your brothers and sisters. That's what you get out of it. But what do I, that's what you get out of it. But what do you mean? What do you, you don't get a new car out of this one. You don't get a remortgage out of this one. Like you don't get the promotion out of it. What you get in this situation is to provide help for other people. That's the blessing and that's enough regardless of your age or stage, that's enough. That's worth it. And if that's not enough for you and I, then apparently scripture isn't enough for you and I. Because for these believers, they got the ability within one year of being saved to give of their money compassionately and generously. Now it was money. Like let's not hold back on that. That's why I'm I'm saying I'm gonna preach it with boldness because this was the text. And I believe that there's a prophetic nature to it. They got to give all their money in a time where a famine was going to sweep across the Roman world. They were just scattered a year ago. Because one of their friends, one of the leaders, he got killed in front of their eyes. They were just scattered. They had every reason not to give. Well, I've been hurt by church, so I don't trust leaders. Their privilege was to give. And their blessing was that they got to provide help for brothers and sisters. Now, what, what is our application today? I'm not giving you one. Because then it will be pointed. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just sharing with you what's in the Bible. And as a result of what's in the Bible, often what goes through our ears, Jesus teaches about he has ears, let him hear. You know, we don't want to just be hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word. After hearing what's in this book, then you and I can act accordingly. I'm not giving giving us a response. I'm not saying let's all buy toilet rolls for people who can't afford them. That's not the response. The response is that in a time of need, these one-year-old believers were mature enough to step up to deny themselves and to give generously and compassionately because of what the gospel and the grace of God has done for them that should inspire us. That the blessing's no longer just about me, myself, and I, but it's actually about getting to bless other people. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 2 verse 30, therefore the Lord, the God of Israel says, I promised, promised that, the, that your branch of the tribe of Levi would always be my priests, but I will honor those who honor me and I will despise those who think lightly of me. So my encouragement to you, whether this season, and I'm going to pray, like we've just prayed together and amen, and agreed, full of faith, that this season is much shorter than what the people are anticipating, and intellectual people too, but not necessarily supernatural people. I'm going to pray that this season is much shorter than we anticipate, but regardless of the length of it, that you and I are people who honor him and experience his honor as a result honor him with others, honor him with the broken, honor him with the hurting. Those, the, the, if, if you give a cup of water to the least of these, you also did that to me. Wow. Now, if Jesus is saying that, I wanna, I'll stand in Belfast tomorrow and gives out, give out cups of water. Anybody joining me? If that's, the, if that's the picture he's showing us of what it looks like to give to him. I want to take us to one more place and then we're going to pray together. We're gonna respond. It's in 2 Corinthians six and three to 13. 2 Corinthians six, three to 13. It says this, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path. Now this is the second letter to the church in Corinth. The first letter, this was a church that Paul planted. The second letter was these believers whom Paul had had, um, raised many of them in following Jesus, helping them grow in God. And all of a sudden, there was, a, there was a pushback from them. They kind of wanted Paul to keep at arm's length. And so he was writing this second letter, letter to defend himself, but to defend himself in love and to keep the relationship open and not like a bitterness, not like a cut cutoff, um, uh, not a modern day Northern Irish, I tell you what it is then. That's not what Paul was saying here at all. He was showing incredible grace to these believers in Corinth. It says, put no stumbling block in anyone's past so that our ministry won't be discredited. Bad report and good report. Genuine, yet regarded as imposters. Known, yet regarded as unknown. Dying, and yet we live on. Beaten, and yet not killed. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. Having nothing, yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We're not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. Go back a couple of verses and uh, Paul gives this paradox and he, there's a little phrase in it, Uh, scholars believe that uh, scholars aren't sure, Uh, there's not a holistic landing on what he means, but he says poor yet making many rich. We don't know if as they write the letter that they're financially poor. We don't know if they um, are talking about a, a spiritual heritage that they're, they don't feel like they have much, but they're making many people rich with the word of God. Uh, we don't know whether they're talking about uh, what it looks like monetarily, that they're helping in Corinth, they're making people rich. We're, we're not sure, which gives us a degree of openness to this and allows us to apply it in all three areas. Paul looked at the second half of the perspective every single time. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor, yet making many rich. Regarded as imposters, yet entirely genuine. All the way through. He, he, he shows us this perspective that he has. And you and I can gain this incredible perspective that Paul has in light of Acts chapter 11 that even when it doesn't feel like I have much, I will always rejoice. I will make others rich in God, helping them grow in Christ. I will give away what I don't always feel like I have. And I don't mean that in a, in a sense of you see yourself uh, in, a, in a light that you shouldn't, but maybe you don't always feel like you're totally there. And so that rules you out. But Paul is speaking of a generous life. The Bible says in the message uh, paraphrase that the life of the generous gets larger and larger, but the life of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. And in a season like this, you can read that A.W. Tozer quote and like it and share it all you want. In a season where there is a fearful world, we need a fearless church, full stop. Fearlessness, is seen in our actions. Heard something this week and it's been speaking to me and I've been asking the Holy Spirit to show me areas of my life. But if you don't behave it, you don't believe it. Your behavior will show everybody what you truly believe. And in a season like this, talk all you want, but it's our behavior that's gonna actually reveal to a fearful world what we truly believe. You know, uh, just as we land together and um, because if you didn't realize we were on a plane, certainly wasn't flyby. (laughs) In Acts chapter 11, um, there's a little nugget in there. Um, It's been mentioned a couple of weeks ago and talks about they were first called Christians in Antioch. And uh, many people, uh, we understand that uh, as a slur, but there's more to the context. Uh, There's more to to the whole picture. It was the first place that Christians were called Christians. Yes, 100%. Many people called them Christians as a mockery and as a slander and to make fools of them, 100%. This church is the first church that was predominantly Gentile, which means that they didn't have all of the understanding and language that goes with being a Jew and converting to Christ to understanding that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. And so many of these Gentiles, unbeknown to them, would have mocked Christians by calling them Christians. Christians meaning little Christs. Of course, sounds like a wonder roasting. Sounds like you wouldn't want people calling you a little Christ. And so for that purpose, we're gonna put this message on Spotify as little Christs because I'm about to give you the insight which makes you want to own it. See, if you were a Gentile hearing that, it would be a slur and it would be frustrating and it would be like, and you would perhaps take it as a bit of like a roast and it wouldn't be nice and it wouldn't be kind and it would be hostile. But if you were one of these first believers who came um, from a southern area, scattered because of the persecution of Stephen and somebody called you a little Christ in a mocking way, you could own that. Because it is actually saying this. Well, Jesus Christ wasn't Jesus's full name. It wasn't like in school when they did the roll call that they said like John Graham, Jesus Christ. Like that wasn't, Jesus Christ means Jesus in, in in the Hebrew means Jesus the Messiah. In the Koine Greek, uh, Christ means Savior. And so when you and I would hear Christ, what we would understand as Messiah, but what these people as Jews would have understood was that they would be called, Jesus is called the, the Anointed One, or the Anointed King, or the Messiah has come. And to call them little Christs would be to them being associated as anointed ones, or as the king's people, or as the people of the Savior, which all of a sudden flips it all on its head, because that's not an insult. That's something that you can go, "Oh, thanks very much." <laughs> New was anointed. New was one of the king's people. There is an association with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now you and I have the knowledge, have the understanding of what that means to go into your life from this afternoon onwards in the middle of a situation that feels complex and the key word is always fluid and moving vastly and know I am a Christian. What's that mean? I'm one of the king's people. I represent him, I'm part of what he's doing, I'm under his authority, I have his assurance. And this king isn't like any king, this king's already won the war. This king, his battles aren't against flesh and blood but principalities and powers that be. And this king lives in here in the form of the Holy Spirit. And so, in the middle of all uncertainty, just don't forget who you are. All right? Don't you forget who you are? Don't. You forget who you are, then you, then you'll just you'll just join the rest of them, panic. When you know who you are, you know what the end looks like. You don't necessarily know what the middle looks like, but you know the assurance you have in the middle. But you know what the end looks like, and that's. It's enough assurance for you and I. Certainly more than the next person knows. Hey, let's stand together. Worship team, they're gonna come and we're gonna respond to God together. In Acts chapter five, the apostles had shared uh, in the account that we read in Acts chapter two, uh, a couple of thousand believers are added to the number. Again, in Acts chapter four, they ask for an infilling of the Holy Spirit. They begin to speak the word of God boldly. Many more believers are added to the number. And in Acts chapter five, the apostles are thrown into prison. And what happens is they are taken out. They're said, in, what, in whose name did you do this? Say in the name of Jesus. And a long story short, they're told, that basically we're gonna let you go because if we don't let you go, there's gonna be a riot. Um, But make sure that you don't say anything in the name of Jesus again. Keep your mouth shut. And I I fear that you and I miss something when I talk about you being a Christian because they were beaten and they were flogged in this prison. Then they were released and they were told to keep their mouths shut. And there's a little nugget in Acts chapter 5, verse 38 that speaks psh, crazy talk to us. And it says this. They left rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. What name? Name of Jesus. The name that you're associated with, too. They rejoiced because they'd been counted. Worthy of suffering for that name. What an honor. And you get to live for it. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would plant your word. Plant your word in every person's heart, Lord God. Plant it in our minds, Lord God. We ask in the name of Jesus that each person would grow up in you, becoming more like you that we would give full of compassion and generosity, Lord God. We thank you that you are rich, abounding in love. We thank you that you know the hair on our head, that even the birds of the air, Lord God, are fed. And so we pray in these moments for a peace that passes all understanding. And Lord, I pray that we would stay woke and we would be little Christs everywhere we go. Lord, that we would carry your name with great honour, great attentiveness to the presence of the Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening in on our Sunday podcasts. Check us out on our Facebook, Instagram at UT Belfast.